Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lichtenstein. This week's topic will be, is there life after divorce? Halacha Shailas for divorced people and their families. We're going to be having Rabbi Avram Khan. He's the Abbezdin of New City. He's very Isaac in Inyane Gittin. And we will have Rabbi Yitzchak Grunenbaum, who runs a mediation center for people who want to have a peaceful divorce. We'll be hearing from them stories, we'll be discussing halacha, the different issues, etc. Makes for a very interesting uh, hour. Before that, we're going to have a lady, she does not want her name to be used, we'll call her Sarah. And she heard last week's uh, discussion, the week before's discussion about transgender, etc., and how the reaction of some of our calls is the people who are going struggling with these issues are Minuvala and Bahamas Chayas. Here are some of the uh, voicemails. Also, the fact that you, you, you're, you're rough, you brought on, kept on saying again and again, and not, they're not, we're, not, we're talking about humans, and if that sensitivity, I think, proves how low you are and how low the rub is. It's just a crazy thing about people are being doing to Avas, not just about the Isser. People have no, no idea of, of any sensitivity towards life, any, any religious observance, any, any, there's just nothing moral about the person. And you're talking about as a, oh, a mental issue or a sensitivity to a guy who's nothing better than a monkey or a behemoth. You're talking about as human, and we have to sense to them, prove that you, you're someone holding over there and you feel sympathy towards them, which proves you as a behemoth like we see many other times. Please don't want to know you said the name of the Rabbi from our Israel. Started off your program with something you said, and then tried answering. Um, he was literally word for word probably was, uh, probably took the more that every most of your listeners I mean if you have regular straight normal people listening to Tyro. Um then the, the average Ben Now, I want to be made the, I sort of was in this camp too. I went to all the famous, you know, Litvishi Yeshivas, and I understood, you know, the Gemara says Toyeva. Gemara says, by the way, cheating in business is also Toyeva, but we don't talk about that part. By Mishkalis, right? Toyeva. So, but it's called, so it must be, you know, it must be a terrible thing, Toyataba, etc. But what happened? A number of years ago, I get a call from a guy, and I get a lot of calls. Somebody, he wants to talk to me. He emails me, emails me. He, he needs to talk to me. It's very important. It's very important. So I don't usually get involved. I said, okay. He calls me. He says, look, he really wants to meet me to discuss. I said, look, you know, I don't have time for meetings. I don't do meetings. He says, it's, it's mamish pikuach nefesh. Somebody says, it's pikuach nefesh. I said, okay. So I met him. It was uh, around the 24-year-old boy going to one of the best yeshivas in America. He tells me he was always a good yeshiva boy. He learned Pasamadu Gedayla. And uh, he went to, weren't in Archistral. Now he's learning in a very big yeshiva. And he has no Taivas Nashim whatsoever. He was just born without it. It's missing. He's not attracted to, to the opposite gender. And I spoke to him for a while. And I was trying to figure out, is he a serious Bachar? Maybe he's a Shababnik. I said, what are you learning? He said, he's learning Baba Basra. I said, which sugi are you learning? I figured I talked to him on the learning. He's learning Chazaka Sheni Matainas. I said, you know, the Ketzais, the Marit. And he went right into it. He said, the Raj, but it was He was Mamash Shtark, a guy in learning. And I said to him, like, he said, he said, I always learn Shtark. I don't miss Minyan, etc. He says, I don't have, and now I'm being red girls. What should I do? I said, look, you're a big ben, you're a Talmud Tacham, what do you think you should do? He said, you know, it's the Pashtis, I'd be over Lysam, I mean, I'd be a terrorist. I said, I agree. I said, you, he said, is there anything you could tell me, any? And I, I just didn't know what to tell him. I was dumbfounded. I, I, I had never on a personal level met anything like this before. And he left. And a little over a year later, I heard that he died of an aneurysm 
which is Lashen Sagin of somebody taking their own life. Imagine a boy, he's a Bentaira. You know, he thinks he's going to vaccise, like they say, to be a Magachia, to be a Parashiva, who knows what. And he, he realizes he has no Taivas Nashim. And is, and is seriously certain. And he is a total, you know, he's a Mukhram from our society. And I guess, you know, it created some fit of depression and he, and he quote unquote died of an aneurysm. So I realized that, you know, the fact that I didn't understand it growing up or I didn't come across it doesn't mean that this doesn't exist. So when we got a woman, we'll call her Sarah, who says that her husband was a Kel Yungaman, a Starka, Ben Taira, a Talmud Chacham, a learned Basmada, they lived in Eretz Yisrael, and he was gay. And what it did to her and what it did to their marriage, etc., I thought it makes for an interesting, eye-opening conversation for people who just think that it's uh, it's like, like our, the way our prior callers described it. So our first interview will be with Sarah. But before we go there, I want to talk about um, something from the Parsha, and you'll forgive me that I'm a Parsha late, but I think it's relevant. We're talking about life after divorce. So last week, everybody, we read about Ewa told us, the story of the Mabel, and how is the Mabel relevant to you? So most of my life I grew up, the Mabel is a nice story. Kids come home with pictures of a boat with a giraffe and an elephant sticking his nose out of the front, etc. You hang it on the refrigerator, hulu v'chulu, and it's... But then, you know, and I've, I've said this after the sneeze over a number of times, we'll put it online, but the Goyen writes, he says, the Torah is relevant in every generation, every parish in the Torah. And more than that, it's relevant for every person. Or like the Samsayf attached, Vikara by Kol and the Torah, you could find the story of your life. Which to me means that all these stories, including the Mabel, it's not just a Misa. It's, it's relevant. And what is the message of the Mabel? And if you look at Chazal, they say the message of the Mabel is, it says, Noyach, Noyach, in the first passage, Eol told us, Noyach, Noyach, Ish, Sadik, three times Noyach. There's the Noyach before the Mabel, there's the Noyach in the Mabel, there's the Noyach after Mabel. Gimel, Ro, Oilam, Chadash. They saw a new world, their world was destroyed. There was pre Holocaust and post Holocaust. And the first one is Noyach. Noyach goes through a Holocaust. Not only was his nation destroyed, but the entire world, except for his immediate, immediate family, there was nothing left. The Holocaust, you know, there were tens of thousands of survivors, maybe hundreds, but here, that's it. There was a few people left, right? Five, maybe with their wives, it was eight, etc. It was a real Holocaust. And he created a new world. So what's the message to us? I think if, according to the Goyen, that all of us to tire every parish, that means every one of us in our lives is going to have some type of a marble. And what does a marble mean? Like the Pasik says, There is, when the spal, the what? A leak is fine. You call the roofer, you put a pad under it. A leak under the faucet is fine. A deluge, a, a hurricane, like just happened in Fort Myers with a surge that went up, you know, 15 feet. You never want to have that. A tsunami. That's not a leak. That's... What does that mean? Everybody in their life has a time when something happens, it just wipes them off their feet. What could it be? It could be a divorce. It could be business bankruptcy, or a total loss of parnasa. It could be the death of somebody we love. It could be an addiction. For the people living in Ukraine, it could be a war. You fill in the blank. Everybody has, according to the Gain, everybody has once a marble in their life. And from Nayak, we learn how to deal with it. And many people don't recover from a marble. 
I was talking now to a Rav who's Isaac in Ukraine, and he said, it really amazes him how many people just won't leave their homes. They're under bombardment. Everything's gone. No electricity. There's Eretz Yisrael. They'll let you in, and they say, we, we just can't let go. We, we can't leave go. In Arab Simchazis, the, the, the dying of Brisk, Simchazelig, it was during World War II, so the Briskarov was in Vilna, and Simchazeli was afraid. The Briskarov was very makbed on his achila. He was afraid he would starve to death if he didn't have... So he said, I'm, I'm going to bring him food. He was, and he found the Briskarov, and he said that the Briskarov was very upset. And he said to Simchazeli, he said, you know, in Brisk, he said, why am I so upset? Over there, if you read the stories, they massed on him. They tried to throw him into jail multiple times. I mean, the communists did not think highly of Rabbanim. And yet, I'm so distressed... He says that, and I understand now the parsha. This week's parsha Lech Lecha. He says, "Watch the Nesayin Lech Lecha Me'artzacha Me'savicha." He says they tried to kill him. They threw him into a into a a, a, a kivshana esh. Watch the Nesayin. So he told her some Chazal exemption for them. Adahem is far adahem. Still, where you grew up is where you grew up. It's hard to leave. Many people never leave. Whatever it is, that marriage that fell apart, that business that they should have left decades ago, the, they can't let go of their memories of Rahman al somebody who died, and they just they, they go into eternal sorrow. Chazal say, Noyach lived in two worlds, and he was ultimately Ro'olam Chadash. Noyach, Noyach. We learned from Noyach how to deal with it. How do we deal with it? How do we get the courage? And how do we make the decision to move to a new world? Well, he didn't do it quickly. For 120 years, he tried to make where he was work. He tried to convince them. So he didn't just jump into something. He, he spent a lot of time. But he also, you know, have him assunim bedin. You make a decision, you make it carefully. And, but even after that, he made the decision finally. He was scared. He was really scared to, to just pack up and leave. It says he went into the Teva. Rashi says, Mipnei Me'ababel. He was pushed in by the Me'ababel because it's very hard to leave Chernobyl. It was very hard for many of our, sadly, of our great nation to leave Europe. World War II, they just couldn't leave and they died in the Holocaust. They had, many of them had the opportunities. They just couldn't leave. But he, he got pushed and he made the decision, I am going to leave. And then it says, Vayisker Hashem Badai. So the Pasik gives us a little bit of Avtacha. If you make that decision, Hashem will close your bubble that you won't. I'll make it easier for you not to look back. Remember, what's the story with light? She looked back, she died. Noyach doesn't want to look back. He really tightens the, the hatches down in the marble. But wait, you made that decision. You think it's going to be easy? What does the story of Noyach tell us? It wasn't easy at all. For 40 days, he just lay in bed in grief. And then it took an entire year for him to get the courage to leave his bubble. Right? He, he had a window. He looked out into the world. And by the way, when I say it was really hard to leave, what did Chazal say? Amr Yeshua ben Levi, Zayin Yomim Nisabal HaKadosh Baruch Baruch He sat shiva before he made that momentous decision to leave a friendship, a partnership, a marriage, a business, a country, a homeland for seven, and then he had 40 days, and then he sat for a year shiva in the, in the Teva. He sat in grief in the Teva, in shock. And then he finally settles and he wants to open the door. What do Chazal say? Chazal say, no. And it's Medrash and Breshis Rabbalah Hashem said, say min ha-teva. Neach said, I'm not going. Hashem said, go. He said, I'm not going, Kaviachal, until you swear to me that you're never going to bring another marble on the world again. I made the decision, and I'm leaving, but I also made a decision. I never want to see this mistake again. If you don't swear to me, I'm not leaving. And Rabbanishom swears, Kor v'chayim chayiz v'chayir v'layish b'ayisu.
He made another decision. He, he went in, he had the courage, he's not looking back, and he said, and I'm never making that mistake again. All lessons for people who are, who are uh, going through. And after he leaves, and by the way, was Nayak successful? Well, it's a debate. But after he leaves, what happens? He plants a vineyard. He wants to have a you know, good life. doesn't go very well. He gets drunk. He's PTSD, right? The whole world destroyed. And what happens? Chum. Chum shames him. Chum. There are going to people, after you go through that, you put a little what it is. Oh, you're the guy who went bankrupt, got divorced, whatever it may be. There are people who will shame you. They're going to meet the chums of this world, and you're going to meet the shames in your offices, the people who say, I love you, and I can never see bad in you, and I know that you did the best you could. The stories of life after divorce. And, and here's what's interesting. What Mida of Nayach gives him the ability to walk away and start again? Gives him that courage to like just tear, tear himself out of his situation, which so many people can do. And I would suggest that perhaps, it truly was a tzaddik, but Dretzadikim who died in the Holocaust, they, they couldn't pull themselves away. It's, so tzaddik is not about the ability to renew yourself. It's just a, a, a midin avaydas Hashem, a, a madregan avaydas Hashem. And I put to you, it says he's a tzaddik, but a tzaddik tamim. What does Rashi always describe a tamim? Tamim tiyem Hashem alakecha. Al tach Live in the now. Don't worry about the future. When you're making a decision, you're saying, I'm walking away from whatever it is. And you look ahead 10 years, 5 years, a year, 50 years, it's terrifying. But if you say, you know what, I'm just going to do one step at a time. Again and again, he put one step ahead of the other. And the step in front of us is not usually terrifying. It's usually picking our heads up and looking far into the future that that really gets scary. So if you made the decision, you spent that 120 years and you said, I know this is the right decision. At that point, it's just one step at a time. That's how Nayach did it. And that's our lesson when Has v'shalom should never come upon us. The may, the shetif mayim rabim, if it ever comes our way, how do we deal with it? One step at a time. Now, does Nayak have a happy ending? The last we see of him is that he's in the, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's in the vineyard. Where is the success? Like, where do we see that Nayak came and, you know, he did something fantastic? And I think that Nayak did do some fantastic. You know what he did? He survived. And you know what his survival is? We're all here because of Nayak. We're all B'nai Nayak. Right? We mentioned him in the davening and Rosh Hashanah because we wouldn't be here without Nayak. The whole world are the children of Nayak. So the survivors of the Holocaust, they came here. Many of them were really totally beyond PTSD. That's an understatement. But they came, and they had families, and they had children. And maybe their children, they're going to light the world on fire. But you know what the success of the survivors are? They made it through, and they had the courage to have a new page, and that's enough. What does it say? What happened to them afterwards? They sort of disappear after their great bravery. There's the whole Tanakh, right? You have in Ksuvim about them. It says, They survived and they created a new generation. And that's enough. So let's hope none of us ever has this. this we ever have to build a Teva and sail away. I wish it on all of us. We should only have. But if we do, the Torah tells us how to, how to deal with it.
This is after we went up on the air, a few callers or a number of callers left messages, which you could listen to, but they were me and I, they're right. So I want to put the asterisk on. My point here is, and you'll see from the next interview, is that SSA can be really real and a person can be wired wrong, just like they can be wired with, with, without kidneys, without the heart on the wrong side of the body, without legs, people. That's how Teva is. People can get wired wrong. Notwithstanding that, in the current political environment, a lot of the protests about LBGTQ, etc., it's become very fashionable to claim to be either gay or or trans, etc. Like it means you're part of this hip, young, cool culture. And that, I actually agree with uh, my, my dear friend, Ruff Sternbach. That is truly, that, that, that is, he, you could use all the epithets for that he uses, and I would agree with him. And, it, and there's something most about a person being unauthentic to who they truly are because of their desires for TikTok fame. That's one provisio. I'm just pointing out that there is, this is a real thing, and there's a lot of imitators and a lot of politics behind it, and a lot of liberals, and blah, 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 right? That's one thing. And the second thing is is that there are a lot of people who are SSA, but there are many people who are both SSA as well as opposite gender. And for these people, I, I recognize the struggle, but I sympathize it much less, just as a person says, look, I'm same, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to the opposite gender, and I'm also attracted to Asia-ish. Or to, all, hello, that's what the Torah is about. You know what I mean? So you have the way, a way to live a normal life, a healthy life to be married. Okay, so if you have SSA and as well as the opposite gender, so, which is also very normal, especially, you know, prisoners in jail suddenly become SSA or people who are like in, in like size in same schools, SSA schools have that, right? But that's the Tyra says, but you, you have the ability to live a normal life. So honestly, I personally am not sympathetic to that. I'm talking about people who are genuinely only SSA and they have no, no traction for the opposite. We have to look at these people with, with compassion. And that's what this interview is about. And so I put this on. Please don't miss understand the limitations. Today's shear, as well as this month's shear, is in memory of a Yudid Nefesh of mine, Pinchas Gershon, Ben Yishayu David Halevi, who died on this date. May his memory be a blessing on his family and Klal Yisrael. Let's go to our riddle of the week. By the way, at the end of the program, we will play the listeners who answer the riddles correctly. So if you have a good answer and you send it to us, Piksav, we will ask you to call it in as well so that Dylan could hear you actually answering the riddle. So here's the first riddle. It's the Kasha of the Hagoyas Maimonus. Shulchan Aruch says that you don't make a Shechianu. Even if the Av himself is mal, we don't make a Shechianu by Mila. Why? Because if Tzara the Yanuka, that's what the uh, Paiskim say. So the, the Agoyish Maimonis asks a question. He says, the Gemara says in Brachas and, and Haraya, that if somebody's father dies, so he makes a bracha, Baruch Dayan Emes, and afterwards he makes a Shechianu that he arshened. L'chaira, why does he make a Shechianu? Tsar that the father died. He has his bitsar that the father died. So just like over here, by uh, we say by Mila, the father doesn't make a shechianu because the tinnik is bitsar. Here, the person who's Yorish is bitsar, and yet he makes a shechianu. So how you see tsar and shechianu are not a steer to each other? That's the question of the guys Maimonis, which is schwer on the Rama, who says our minig is not to make a bracha. Why do we not make a bracha, and yet we pass him that by Yerushi you do make a bracha? That is riddle number one. Riddle number two, it says, V'yenaga Hashem es parei negoim g'daylem v'ezbeisai, because of the story that he abducted Sarah, or he took Sarah. Question is, 
Why wasn't Parei Chayiv Misa? He, he was punished in Gedalim, so he would give up Sarah, but he wasn't punished with Misa. We see by Avi Melech in Perik Chaf Pasigimel, he named Mes al Isha, and the Gemara says that Avi Melech was Chayiv. Ah, he didn't know he was, she was a Ptuya because he blibes an Omer Mutter. He should have, he should have checked. He should have done a good investigation before he tries to reboil an Isha to make sure that she's a Ptuya. And a, and a, and a Ben Noyach has Nereg on an Isha Sish, and for either Isha Sish or Gzela of so the Gemara says very clearly in Makis and Aftesam and Aleph that uh, that the explanation why Avi Melech was supposed to die. Pare Lechayor was in the same situation. He should have investigated. He was an Aimamata, and it says he got Nigayim Gedolim, so he, he should start give back Sarah, but a of Misa didn't get. What's the difference between Pare and Avi Melech? That is our second riddle. Again, at the end of the program, we'll have the the winners of last week's riddle reading actually reading their answers. The interview on the phone that we have this week with Sarah, who was married to a, a gay person, came directly as a, an outreach, direct outreach from a listener. So if you're a listener and either you would like to be interviewed on some topic that you feel you add relevance to, or alternatively you know somebody who would like to, please reach out to us because we'd love to have our listenership involved. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's uh, 02-372-0304. Let's go to our wonderful program. Joining us from Israel is one of our listeners who reached out to us and said they were married to somebody who was gay and and have been listening to some of the commentary and felt that it wasn't so accurate. So I'd like to welcome our listener for the for the purposes of this conversation, we'll call her Sari and say, Sari, you, you've heard the last few weeks, the discussion, you've heard some of the comments. What do you think we're not getting right? First of all, thank you for, for allowing a listener on. I know that I'm not an expert in the field. Um, but I think it's not so much about what what's being right or wrong, what you're getting right or wrong, but more about what what are the consequences of the ideas that we have and what does it look like on the ground when somebody's actually living with this in real life. I think most people don't know someone who's gay or think they don't know somebody who's gay. We have a lot of ideas. Oh, there are rabbis who talk to these people, um, but no one really knows what goes on behind closed doors and how many people are dealing with this in real life. So talk to us about it. As somebody who has experienced it, your your husband was gay or is gay, but he was your husband. Talk to us about what what don't we get? Okay. So I, I want to say, first of all, that he is a very good guy. He is a great guy. Um, he has his limitations. Um, and <laughs> we, we oh, okay. 
There you go. Um, he told me that he had the struggle before we got married. Um, I didn't really understand exactly what that meant. I spoke with his therapist. Um, I was very limited in terms of the kinds of questions I could ask and how many people I could tell because we moved in the same circles and he was very worried about his, um, I guess, his reputation. And he had spent years in therapy, undergoing conversion therapy. There are all kinds of groups that take place, certainly all over Israel, um, and I'm pretty sure in a lot of places in New York, too, if, you know, that's just what I know about. Um, and, and he didn't want to be what he is um, and spent a long time working on that. And what, what I understand is that conversion therapy doesn't necessarily mean that a person won't be attracted to, to men anymore or to women anymore, um, but that they will learn to also be attracted to the opposite sex. And I, I guess I kind of took it at face value and went with it and was younger and I guess a little naive um, and figured it would be fine. And, um, you know, when I spoke to his therapist, he said, well, what are you worried about? You know, he's not going to run away with another man. And I figured, you know, okay, what, what else? do I have to be worried about? Uh, but the reality is that somebody who is not attracted to women, you know, it took us months, and I don't know if this is a, a real overshare, but months and months before our marriage was consummated, it, um, it ended up being a really traumatic experience, one with a lot of self-doubt, and, you know, I was sure that there was something wrong with me, because if, if I did things differently, or if I was different, then I could help him be different. Um, yeah, you know, I think people always ask what it is that women want, you know, it's like this, this big enigma. The reality is women want to be wanted in every way. That's it. <laughs> That's what really goes on behind all of our makeup. And to be in a relationship that is supposed to be the ultimate relationship and to not feel that, um, I was really lost and really lonely and really depressed um, for a long time. Um, and it took me 10 years before I finally realized that there were two parts to this marriage that were broken. Me and my assumptions that I could make changes um, and how I was approaching it. Um, and the fact that I was married to somebody who, you know, loved me as a friend. We had a great platonic relationship. Um but nothing more. Now, we had on a caller last week who was screaming about how these people who are, you know, SSA or, or transsexuals, et cetera, how they're, they're behemoths and highest and evil. But, I mean, I, I didn't believe that. I mean, I, I understood that it's, you know, it's like the way God makes people, you know, he makes people, there are people with three eyes and two kidneys and no kidneys. It's just one variation of the way, you know, for some reason that's beyond our understanding. The Rabbi Nishal made the Bria. And there are people, no matter what they do, it's just, it's just, they just are not attracted to the opposite sex and there's nothing they could do to change that. Is that true? Um, I think... You know, there's a huge discussion if people are born with it or if it's something that happens to them through their lifetime. I, I haven't settled on a place. You know, I, I had been, it had been explained to me that it was a result of trauma. I don't, I personally do not believe that a person can be taught to be attracted to somebody that they're not attracted to. My experience has been that it doesn't work. I am very anti-conversion therapy. Um, my heart breaks for anybody who's put in that position. And I don't think they're behemoths, I think. And again, 
it's one thing to talk about the secular world where people just go ahead and act on whatever it is, you know, that they feel. Um, but in our world where people are presented with this challenge, um, and it's a challenge obviously because it's antithetical to Torah, and they opt to not live that lifestyle, they're, they're tzaddikim. Um, but m- my point is that what does it mean, you know, to, to live with a tzaddik like that is beautiful for him, but there are real consequences for the person on the other end. Your husband wanted, did he try his very best not to be gay? Like how important, how much would he pay not to be gay? Oh, I think that he would give anything not to be gay. And um, I really, you know, I, I, I listened to him and I heard his story and I empathized with him and I still do. It makes me sad though to think that people are in a position like that to, to have to live with themselves when there's clearly such a, a hatred of or despising of something that is so much a part of who they are. What you're saying is, and I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth if you tell me, they are, in effect, victims of whatever DNA situation, whatever turned them into that, and there's really nothing they can do, but yet they feel they carry the weight of it as if they were some type of a sinner. I think so. I think so. You know, and I, I wonder always, is there is there something that we can do as a community, as a way that they can be involved without having families? Um, you know, I know the level of of the type of sin of you know that we're talking about here is probably a way for us to include them so so that they don't have to hide behind being something that they're not. I'm curious, your husband, he went to Minion, he was from in every other way? Stark, stark, stark. Stark, stark, stark. What would you say to parents who have a son who or a daughter who is not attracted to the opposite gender, and they're about to go out and shidduchim, and, you know, let's, let's just fake it and try to fit in? What would you tell them? You are killing your child or a part of your child and will be responsible for ruining somebody else's world. You know, the thing about Shadokim and people getting married is when someone gets married, they have picked the most important thing for their future children's lives. You know, I have kids, they're still pretty young. Eventually, they're going to realize that something is different and something, you know, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. I don't know what the consequences are for, for their Shadokim and for how they're going to feel about themselves and their own identities and where they fit in this world. Um, you know, for a parent to, to push a kid forward into a Shadokim situation, they just have to realize the gravity of the responsibility that they have. And what would you say to a Rosh Hashiva or a Rav who's listening who... Um is asked this question by a boy. He says, listen, I don't have attraction to the same gender. You know, should I fake it? Should I, what would you do? Or, or the Rosh Hashiva who says, who, who would advise the boy to fake it? What would you tell the Rosh Hashiva? Or the Rav, or who, whoever, the counselor, as somebody who's lived through it? I think the first thing is for Rosh Hashiva, for people in, in positions of power, to really make an effort to understand what this is. Not as a concept in the sky, as a real on the ground, what does it mean, you know, and, 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 and who, who are these human beings? Why is he like this? What is he facing? What is his history? What, you know, how much counseling has he done? Is this the kind of person who might find somebody who wants to be married to just a friend for the rest of their life? Is she maybe also hiding from, you know, there are real, I'm sure there are scenarios where this kind of thing could work, but I think, I think that 
for Arrested Shiva, you have to understand the human being behind this incident. Um, and, and, and no, you know, you, I was told many, many times, don't get divorced, stay with him. Somebody told me it's the pious thing to do. And so, you know, that, you know, I'm a mom with kids and I work and I have friends and I'm a human being and my goal is to do the pious thing regardless of how badly I'm struggling. I don't know about that. You know, I had, I definitely had, and people that I still respect who turned around to me and said, oh, that's a nice guy. And he is. He's a really nice guy. He's just not husband material. Um, so I just, you know, don't, if somebody is not capable of it, hold them back. There's, again, there's got to be a way for us to include these people in, in, in the community without them having to hide behind something. We have a, for those of us who have been through this, we have a, a, I don't know, we refer to ourselves as the beard, you know, that thing that, that they hide behind so they can feel like men. That's it's sad for everybody involved. How miserable were you before you got divorced or before you decided to go for divorce? Um, I spent years in and out of states of depression and anxiety. Um, I got myself medicated at a point. I was desperately lonely. I felt like I was living a huge secret. My family didn't know. Most of my close friends didn't know. Um, when I eventually went to a psychiatrist, I said to him, you know, he's a, a deathly life man. And he said, um, oh, so you're saying your husband's not attracted to you. Your husband is not attracted to you. And I I had just never thought of it in those terms. It was like this weird, I don't know what cloud I was living in or, or how I had, I don't know, closed myself off to protect myself. But I had never thought of his having same-sex attraction as that translating as, well, I'm living in a marriage where my husband is not attracted to me. Um, that's a very heavy, lonely place to be. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Take care. Bye-bye. Joining us from New City is Rabbi Avram Khan. He's the Avbezdin of the Vat Hadin of Hira of New City. He's an expert in getting a divorce. Welcome, Rabavi. Thank you, thank you. I don't know if that's a compliment, the title, Expert in Gittin. Well, somebody has to do it, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having me. Okay. Rabavi, um, what do you do when the father says, look, I want to be Mekayim, and the mother says, look, you know, I'm sorry, we have a visitation, and you're allowed, you have every second weekend, etc. So that's that's almost every case. Every case, how does the father Mekayim, um, all his children to his children, when, you, when how are any parents have, supposed to have a normal relationship with their children post-divorce? One of the things that a father is supposed to have a relationship with his child is chinachin. And teaching him Torah on that. I mean, it's complicated when you're married to accomplish that, but for sure more complicated when you're when you don't only have work as a distraction, but you also have the visitation schedule as a distraction. And the answer is that you have a father has to make it his his number one obligation that while he's going through a divorce or post-divorce, that he's able to be Mechanach's child. And he's for sure not going to be able to be Mechanach's child if he doesn't get along with um with the child's mother now his ex because then he's going to have questions like this. He's only going to see his child once every two weeks. But if he could figure out, and of course the mother has the same obligation, everyone has to figure out how they both could still co-parent. They call it in English and still be Mechanach their child, and that's an obligation that the, the parents have to do. 
Here's what I'm struggling with. Basically, you're saying that the mother and the father have to work together and be nice to each other so that they can work on the kids' chinuch. I mean, if they were nice together, they probably wouldn't be divorced in the first place, no? Yeah, I mean, I mean, people, I think people know people could get along with people that they're not married to much better than getting along with people they're married to. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't get along as a married couple. Maybe they could get along as a divorced couple. Well, do you see that? Um, I would say... When you see it, I'm very, very excited and happy about it. When I see those divorces end up in a beautiful way, it 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 it, it ends up not being as traumatic for the children. But never there are way too many divorces that the process to get divorced is so complicated and so emotional that after the couple has a very hard time communicating. They look at the other spouse as a source of trauma and a source of you know discomfort, and they don't even want to get on the phone with the person or communicate normally. Those have a very, very hard time in the their kids. I mean, their kids have a very hard time wanting to end up like their parents when they see that act like this. Okay, now you have a divorced couple and one of them starts dating and inevitably the other one gets question information about their ex, like, you know, uh, my, my daughter, my son is dating your ex. What's he or she like? Like, how do you answer that truthfully? Yeah, and horror, like, how, how do you deal with such a question? So, I mean, everybody, everybody has to acknowledge Alice that People are their worst in divorce. I want them heard a judge say that the difference between a criminal judge and a family court judge is a criminal judge sees a criminal in his best behavior, and a family court judge sees a good human in their worst behavior. And it's very, very true. When wow. people go through divorce, they're worse. The worst comes out, and you can't, you can't judge any human for their divorce. I mean, you see it from the Rambam with these ideas of chiv and kaifin and personalities. That means people are really not themselves, the chlau, when they're going through divorce. There's many halachas that are marumist to such a thing. The idea of that when Mavatl Nadarim before a divorce shows that people make crazy Nadarim before before their divorce. And, and people are very, very, they're not crazy. So you can't judge somebody from their divorce. But if a person is reaching, is calling the ex, let's call it, all Hilchus Lashon Hara applies. But I think everybody knows that. Everybody knows the ex has their perspective. And if sometimes they feel they can't move forward in the Shidduch without finding why the couple got divorced, they're going to have to reach out to the ex. And the ex is going to have to say, look, I'm an ex. I have my perspective. I have, I have my bias. But I reached a place that I could articulate that, you know, this is, this is, this is who he's about. But if they can't, if they can't articulate intellectually who their spouse is about, and it's just going to be an emotional conversation, they shouldn't be answering calls about their spouse, and people shouldn't be calling them. It's, 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 I wouldn't want someone to call me about somebody who I really, really can't say good information about. Is it a good or a bad idea to call the ex for information? Again, depends how they got divorced. There, there are a lot of couples, and I, I see post-divorce the way certain couples get along. There are a lot of couples that figured out how to help each other because they came to realize that they each need to be healthy. The wife came to realize that she needs her ex-husband to be a great father for her children because kids need a father figure. The wife come to realize that she needs her husband to make parnasa, and because of that, she can't, she, she can't be just bringing up issues. The husband realized that he has to take care of his wife and make sure things are misled for her, even though it's an ex-wife. When they come to realize that, they, sh they should be the ones saying information. Nobody knows that. That ex-spouse better than the ones who were once a spouse. And now, an ex is called. Are they allowed to say the divorce wasn't messy when indeed it was very, very messy? Hmm. I don't. I don't know if you're allowed to lie about such a thing. I mean, it, it's definitely subjective. The word messy. So the Chavetz Chaim has a whole arichas of how to deal with subjective information. But if it was more than a regular divorce, more and more messy to lie. I mean, you do have to judge somebody by the way they get divorced. Again, you can't judge them that that's who they really are. But it, People have to know that the way they're going to go through divorce is going to be judged on for the future, and it's going to show who they are, how they deal with their ex, if they know how to deal with their ex mentally or not. I mean, there's, there's halachas in how you're supposed to deal with your ex. The Chavetz Chaim brings down 
that in Iqbis of the Mashiach we should focus on Shalom, and he brings a medjus just about a couple dealing, a husband dealing with his ex-wife and supporting her. It's a medjus in Parshish Noyach. I mean, of course they have to deal with their ex. I don't think they're allowed to lie and just say it wasn't messy. They could say there were issues that we worked out now. It was messy at a time, but Baruch Hashem, we went to a third-party person, we went to a bezin, we went to a rav, we went to a mediator, and they helped us out. But I don't know if they could straight out lie. What about, is there a din of tzedakah to your ex? Two people get yeah. divorced, and they were married, and they they had a divorce. Now, there's a din of mibsarcha al-tasalim. There's somebody who had a somebody who had a, a, a relationship with, they could have been married for a year, they could have been married for 25 years. Does it have a din of mibsarcha when it comes to tzedakah? Do they have I a kadima? Do they have a kadima over the guy knocking on the door saying he's buying a deer in Eretz Yisrael for his daughter? I think so. I think so. I think I think there's a few rias to it. Uh, besides the rias and the rishonim, there's a, there's a medrash that the medrash says that in the times of Rif Tanchuma it wasn't raining, and Rif Tanchuma was most of uh, most of a to find out why it's not raining. And the way he did it was to go check out how Kali was behaving. And they saw a divorced couple. They saw the husband giving his wife money. So they brought him to Bezim to say, you see, he's doing something inappropriate. He's having an inappropriate relationship post-divorce. And Rif Tanchuma asked him what he was doing, and he said, look, I used to be married to her. And there's an absarch al tasalim, and teva shemakol, and therefore I'm helping her because she's in a bad situation. Our tanchuma turned to the rebbeinu shlom and said, "Umal elu, look at Kali Yisrael, who would not arachmim like the rebbeinu shlom, but afal pikein were able to be kavish yitzori, and somebody who got divorced is able to support his ex-wife. So to you, Akadosh Baruch you should do the same thing to Kali Yisrael because we're stickle. I mean, separated from Akadosh Baruch We're not divorced, but we're in a separated situation. And the Medrash says, "Miyad right away, nisrab kol elam kuli b'mayim." The whole world filled with water, not only that city. And it seems like from that medrash and there are other ma'arukhamis that it's a very, very big thing. I mean, the Ram discusses that there might be a chiv to support your ex in certain cases if your children need, need their mother to have money. But in, in Hashkafa, I think the short person needs to support their ex. And what about, um, what do you do when the divorce agreement, halachically, is uh, more stringent than what a, a, a court would allow when it comes to alimony, separation of assets, etc.? Well, what do you advise couples? That means when, when, when their lifestyle doesn't fit to make a halachic settlement? Take a case. A guy is married for 10 or 20 years, right? He made $20 million. La halacha, she gets a ksuba of $50,000, and she gets uh, a child support if they have children. And that's it. If, if she's in a, a state like New York or California, she'd get half. Mm-hmm. Right. What do you do when 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 there's a when you have dina de malchusa goes in a separate way than than the halacha? So I, that's a, that's a great question. It's like when the minig when the minig is clearly that the way they lived and the minig is very very different than halacha. So this was written about in this from from the times of the rishonim, even already hinted in the Gemara, but. What I would say, what I would say is, uh, this is the way I'm knowing. I'm knowing like the Gemara in Sanhedrin that involves the Gemara speaks about that there are two ways to have a bezdin, one like Aaron Akoyin and one like Moshe Rabbeinu. Now there's a Machlech Rashi in Tosis. It seems like some of the Rishonim hold that a Rav should act like you're talking about the Dinim of Shara. Yeah, I'm sorry, so, Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some Rishonim that learn that like a Rav is supposed to act like Aaron and a Dain is supposed to act like Moshe Rabbeinu. And there are those Rishonim that learn that Haschalos had been in the beginning when you're starting to hear the case before you know all the details and before you know what the Psach is going to be, you should act like Aaron. And at the end of the Dintar, you could act like Moshe Rabbeinu. And the Gemara discusses that Aaron tried to make settlements that would end up, the goal was for him to make peace. He was an Ayah Shalom, so the goal was to make peace. So he just figured out how to make a settlement and it was able to go against Halacha very often because both sides agreed. And Moshe Rabbeinu was Yaqat Hadin Sahar. Moshe Rabbeinu had to give 
down the Messiah of Kalisrol of how the halacha is supposed to be, that people should be able to learn from him and he should be a dying and it should be precedent and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu had to pass exactly how it's said in Shulchan Aruch. I think if the case comes all the way to the end and it's by Bezdin, Bezdin has to pass and Bezdin has to give over the Messiah of Shulchan Aruch and Bezdin has to pass in Ksuba, Sometimes Bezdin paskins like Dina the Mochusadina when Chayshim Mishpat says. Sometimes Haminig Oikar Halacha when Chayshim Mishpat says. And Bezdin has to look at it like a regular, regular Dintaira. If it's before Haschalos Hadin and there are Aranaklein, Bezdin's only goal should be to try to figure out how could we settle in a peaceful manner. And they don't have to look in Shulchan Aruch to do that. Whatever they could get the couple to agree on. I know many mediation companies that act like Aaron Aklein. And if the couple says, well, what would Halacha say? They said, it's not relevant. Go to Bezdin to find that here we're here to try to make a, a brand new agreement. And I think that's, that's the Anhogah that Chazal seems to, to push. An, uh, uh, Anhogah of Aaron Aklein and then Moshe Rabbeinu. A Dain and a Rav. A mediator and, and a judge. What do you do? Um, somebody's... Uh Somebody's going to Dintaira, to Besdin. He wants to, he, one of the side wants to, or, or the man wants to hide assets to give less alimony. It's a great question. I, 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 I did this question is discussed in the place. And let's say, let's say, look, it can be a difference between Besdin and court, but let's make the question first court. Someone, someone goes to his Rav and he says like this, I wanted to go to Besdin, I was Muslim my wife to Besdin, or let's make it that the wife the wife does the same thing. She goes to her rub and says, I, I asked my husband to come to Bezdin, and the other person's considered a Messiah. If they have an actual document from a, a Bezdin that says, Ruvain or Leah, they are Messiah or Messiah They haven't shown up to Bezdin. And now you're going to court, and you know the laws are radically different than Bezdin. Is there something that somebody could do? And who then if someone goes to Bezdin and they know the other side's going to play a shtick, is there anything they could do? So, this is already a, t- a shiloh in the Gemara. The Gemara brings down in Shavuos that how do you know you're not allowed to come to Bezdin with your Rebbe to intimidate the other person to agree? And the Gemara says that this midvar shekatirchok, that means to set up your presence in Bezdin where you intimidate the other person to come to an agreement is considered that you're over halacha of shekar. It's considered a lie. There's a machloikis, the sman, the levush, and simen chalches. If this is where you're trying to be moitzi momen kedin or moitzi momen she'enei kedin, that means what happens if you really have proof that you... You, this money belongs to you, are you allowed to intimidate the other person? And the Shaila goes very, very far that to not go through the whole Masa Matim, you can go through this a bunch of Rashpas on this, but in the Chesuke Chemet for Ritzik Zilverstein, he brings down a lot of stories. So he brings down Mamish this question, very similar, and he says there, Bliash says, a Chiddush Gadol, that in Bezdin, Midvash applies. In Bezdin, you're never allowed to lie for the greater good. You're never allowed to lie and you're never allowed to say, well, because I deserve it, I'm allowed to admit something or say something because I'm going to get the ultimate truth. In Bezdin, you can't do that. But outside Bezdin, if you're negotiating, if you're trying to come to a settlement, then you could use negotiation and mediation tactics and your, whatever those tactics and how far and Hilchah Shekhar you're allowed to go, which is, which is a discussion for itself. Also, if you're allowed to like, do what Avram Avinu and Ephron did, you know, Avram Avinu made believe he didn't want the Maras HaMachtela to be able to negotiate with Ephron. And the Zayar says, here you see how you negotiate. You don't make believe you want what you're trying to get. So there's, there's, there's halachic negotiation tactics of what's mutter. But in Bezdin, you have to be transparent and you can't try to figure out how to win something with the greater good. Interesting, because I, I, I think that what Rabbi Yashir is saying is really a machlekes, um in the Akhrenim, and I'll tell you the case, a classic case where they discuss this. The halacha is that, let's say, in a capital punishment case, you need Bezdin, but if it's unanimous, then the halacha is the person would be pata. So let's say you have a Bezdin of Ayin Aleph, and all Ayin Aleph vote to, or, or, or Vlamet Aleph, and they all vote to be Mechaev. The halacha is he goes pata because there's an assumption that the Bezdin didn't, um, didn't argue the case well, because there had to be somebody who saw the other side of this. Mm-hmm. So the post can discuss an interesting case. It's a 
Hey, a guy kills somebody, and it's black and white. You have videos, you have evidence, you have Adam, you have everything. It's so clear. Everybody votes. Guilty, guilty, guilty. comes to the 71st guy. If he says guilty, the guy's going to go free. Because now it's unanimous. If he says not guilty, then the guy is going to get what he deserves, which is Hive Misa. And the last dying believes that he's guilty. If he votes what he believes, the guy gets off. So should he be Mishana and say not guilty so that the guy gets Misa what he deserves? The guy's found Chayiv. Interesting Shiloh, right? Yeah, I agree, Shiloh. And what is the debate? Yasha brings it down. Oh, really? And what is the debate? The debate is, are you allowed to be Mashana in Bezdin for the greater good, quote-unquote? Mm-hmm. What do you say no? The law is, as the law is, and in Samachalikis, interestingly, Bionis and Ipschitz brings that in such a case, you would have to say, you would be allowed to be Mashana. And he brings a raya, he says, he, he, he answers Taisha's kasha. Taisha says that every Dayan has to be able to be Matayar Sheretz, the Kufdun Drachem, right? 150, he says, why would you need a Dayan who could be Matama Sheretz, Matayar Sheretz, since what, what would you want such a dying for. He says, for such a case, because if he wants to vote not guilty, everybody's going to say, what are you, crazy? Could you justify that? So he has to figure out some concocted way how he got to that. So he says, that's where he emphasizes cautious. He says, you would be, in such a case, you would be, uh, you'd be allowed to. And the Archaim al of all places says, mm-hmm. he says, it's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to tell the truth. Let the Rabbi Nishalom worry about the Mishpat that everybody gets the just punishment. But that seems to be the debate of Rabbi Yashiv. No? I think I think he quotes it. He brings a Beneshchai and Raf Toil and I think Simon Aleph that, that brings such a very, very similar debate also lying for the greater good in Bezdin. And Rabbi Yashiv arrives to the same conclusion that in Bezdin you're not allowed to lie for the greater good. I mean, I think even so the morale says that the difference between Emes and Emes Lamitoi is Emes is like focusing on the greater good. Emes Lamitoi is saying the truth right now and Bezdin is supposed to, like, it's supposed to be Meshapif with the Maish Kim with the, the Shem Kim, which is not like a past, present, and future name. It's like a din name. It's judging right now, and that has to be Emma Salamita. You can't make the calculations of what would be for the greater good. And I think that's one of the big big problems, especially a child custody case in Besden. It means a child, let, let's say it's, look, if it's a simple child custody case, there's no reason why it should be in Besden. No, no person should ever have a custody case in court or in Besden. They should really be able to figure it out between themselves. And if they can't figure it out, they should go to a mediator, they should go to a rov, they should go to a family friend. You, what's the havamina to get a judge or to get three random Dayanam involved in best interest for your child? I mean, you know what's best interest for your child. Nobody else does. If you can't communicate properly because you're still emotional, so you have to find a third-party person who knows the couple, it's best if it could be a family friend, and help them through it. If I'm almost going to say chas v'shalom. They need to go to Bezdin or Lahavdil court, and they're, they're having a case. It means it's a really, really bad situation. It means the couple's in a really, really bad place, at least in my opinion. They really don't know how to get along. Now, Bezdin's going to come, and Bezdin's really going to work on making shalom. But if the situation is that it's a child custody battle, what we call it, the real problem is that one person's going to be saying the truth, and one person's going to be lying. And... In a yeshivish way, the person who's saying the truth is like a din in the noisen. They just talk. They say the truth. And the person who's lying, it's like a din in the makabal. All they're doing is looking at the bezdin's face and checking the bezdin. Are you agreeing with my version to the story? Are you agreeing with my narrative of what's best for the children? And as they see the bezdin's face agreeing, not agreeing, they keep on changing their story. And therefore, the person who's saying the truth is almost has the truth working against them because they're focusing on the truth and they don't care if the truth makes sense 
and if their story makes sense to Dayanim, versus the person who's not saying the truth is just focusing if their story makes sense. And therefore, when you have such a custody battle, it is very, very difficult for any Bezdin to make a decision, and generally the Bezdin start focusing on like how to settle for the greater good. And that's a big problem, because it's not plush that a Bezdin's allowed to be focusing on the greater good. They might have to be like Moshe Rabbeinu and Yaakov Hadin Sahar, and the place can do discuss it. Could Bezdin start like tricking or almost saying like for the greater good, and not asking exactly how Halacha says, and I think it's a very complicated Shiloh. Okay, tell us what happens when post the divorce, one of the parties starts moving in a different direction than the other, religion-wise. How do you deal with that as uh, halachically? I would say this is the most, I would say from the most common, common questions, because divorce became so traumatic and so complicated for certain individuals that they give up all hope from where they came from. They, beca- they become so alienated from their community or they see the worst of a community when you get divorced because you see the worst of life when you get divorced that people just need to restart and they have to leave their community. And it's an issue in all communities, but now... Plain, what do you mean the that they, they see the worst of life, the worst of... What does that mean? You're... You do... Let's... <sighs> You're doing something that's very, very questionable because divorce is probably the only thing that everybody could agree you weren't planning that this should happen. You know, somebody who loses money lately and could say, look, I always knew that I might lose. Nobody gets married since they're getting getting this. Nobody does that. So you ultimately are agreeing that this is not what what you planned. And you're doing something that you know everybody's judging you and you're going to be judging yourself and you never know if you're right. We see that from Chazal. The Chazal discussed that you're supposed to push off a, a girl from doing me and from doing a get there are bun in certain cases. And Chazal say, look, push it off till she gets older and she can really know if she's making the right move because it's a very, very difficult move to make. And the... I would say there's almost not enough resources to be done properly that people should really be educated and know how to make the moves. And people constantly make moves that really, really hurt them. And that's when you end up seeing the worst part of a community. So if somebody is desperate and they have a fear of child custody and they have a fear that their spouse is abusing somebody, and then all and what if it's verbal abuse, if it's physical abuse, whatever type of abuse, and because of that, their lawyer tells them to say something in court, and the other spouse now takes that back to the community and says, look, look what they did against me in court. They ruined my name. They ruined my reputation. You end up becoming accustomed to the worst part of the firm community, a part that 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 you get very, very alienated from. And when you get alienated from that, you usually search for a different community, for different resources, for different help. And um, it's very easy for organizations that are outside the firm community to be able to market and say, hey, if you want to leave the community, come to us, be clients by us, and we'll help you because, you know, we know how bad your community is. Instead of, it's like they're marketing on individuals' traumas. People are going through traumas and they're saying, hey, become, you know, let us, let us become your lawyers, let us become your coaches, and let us coach you through this divorce. And they usually coach people straight out of the community. And this is in any community that somebody's from. So what do you see? Because of this, what type of Shilohs, halachic Shilohs do you encounter? Shilohs from, from, do I go, number one, the simple Shiloh, a, 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 a yid is not supposed to go to court, especially for no reason. And somebody says, well, I see my spouse really harming my children, that the way they're acting, the way they're educating my kids, it's really, really, really harmful. I want to know if I could go to a judge to make some restrictions to say, I don't want my kid to be exposed to A, or I don't want you to behave like, like be in front of them. I want to, or I want them to have an upshare, and I want them to wear a yamka. I want to make sure they eat kosher. I want them to keep Shabbos, or I want them to respect me. And if you're going to teach them how to be so different from who I am, they're not going to learn how to respect me. 
and a father and mother are entitled to that. These are real shilas that are coming up, and you know we need Gedali Israel to answer. Like when when are you moich? I mean, Shlomo Melech had this discussion with the with the two Zionists that came to him, and they were each fighting over their kid of how to deal with it. And one was ready to kill their kid, and that's a Shlomo Melech Paskin. This is both them. The Rush brings it down. The Beis brings this down. That you're allowed to be you're allowed to use through the Dainy. You're allowed to use your common sense to be mighty from a muxik mumming. They learn it out from Shlomo Melech. The Rush says that he was mighty a child from their mother based on just a a, a, a common sense answer. So these are real, 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 real shyless of what somebody should do. Give us another one. I would say the biggest one. The biggest one is is, is exposure and chinuch. The biggest one are what else is a Shiloh and, and Kashrus is a, is, is a common Shiloh. Talk about Kashrus. Give us a Shiloh you would get about Kashrus. Oh, Kashrus, so you have, I remember one time I had a judge who reached out to me and she said, Rabbi, I need to know what is unsupervised milk. I said, why do you need to know what unsupervised milk is? She said, well, I have a couple in front of me. One is from Williamsburg, part of the Satmar community, and the other one was part of the Satmar community, but now it's totally irreligious, and they're fighting about visitation with one serving unsupervised milk. I mean, do you, do you Orthodox Jews have to look at the milk from beginning to end? And I explained that, you know, by a Satmar Chassid, Kholofstam is like, is, is worse than Tarfus. And I explained the Emotionally, when a, when a, when a, when a, somebody from the Satmar Kila is going to have their child eat Chalafstam, maybe somebody from a different Kila won't look at it as a chasan, but he'll feel a huge detachment to his child. He won't feel like he could relate to his child, and it might sound, hey, you know, for me or for somebody that I know, Chalafstam is not the worst thing, but for certain individuals, this is a necessity that they don't want to go against, and it, it's, it's something I think that the courthouse tries to take into consideration, but they didn't, there's no question about it, but... Does the father make a machad? Do you go to court for such a thing when, 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 when the spouse wants to give the child cholestam, by you cholestam is Yarek Val Yavr, or whatever your personal meaning, whatever your Yarek Val Yavr is. And it's a very, it's a very complicated question. There's a two of tashbats. Nobody's machim on this. But the tashbats believes that a lady who has a child still keeps them in hugging from her husband, just like the child would eat shroom if she was an anxious cutting and got divorced. So these are these are these are complicated shilas, and I think more the hashkafa shilas are getting even more prevalent. It used to be shemir shabbos, kashrus, and now it's some exposure. How much kids should know nowadays, which is a big machlix in the world in general. Explain, like, what do you mean? So I would start as the simple, simple. Certain we have right now in New York is this huge complicated machlekes that they're having about education, about the government getting involved in the firm education. I mean, all those cases that bark that people should go to the government are generally divorced families. They were generally families that were having custody battles, and they wanted to bring in that they should win custody because the other person is not educating the way they feel education should be. And those educations, besides including from math, science to English, also included education about knowing about the world. I had many divorces where people who wanted to leave the community, they told me, look, I want my kid to be able to respect me. One of the things I enjoy doing is listening to music. I like listening to this and the singer. I like watching this and this movie. I need my kids to be able to go with me to the movie theater or listen to that music. And the spouse or the ex-spouse is, 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 is horrified. Like, that was considered Yerik Valyavar and their Kiyua. How can you expose the kids? What shaykhs is he going to have with his kids anymore? He or she going to have with their kids? If they're so, they're, they're living two different lives. And... These are complicated styles to mediate, to settle, and if somebody would have an arbitration power, these are real complicated questions to answer halakhically and, frankly, legally. I think judges are having a very hard time answering these questions. Give us some of the questions that you get from divorced couples, post-divorce, some of the halakha questions or, or battles you get. So, like this, I have, I have a, an interesting philosophy. I believe that post-divorce, you're not allowed to get in a fight. And if you get in a fight, the best, and if, 
if I'm answering as a dying, does I'm supposed to answer almost like I would say arrogantly? And that's based on the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch says that a couple who comes in after their divorce, a Garish and Grusha, doesn't should be menadin. They should like almost put them in cherim. And it's brought down in Rambam, in Hilchaz Yisrael, the Torah also. And doesn't should hit them. And based on the way I was mekabel from my Rabbein, the understanding of the sugi is that if the fight is an emotional fight that couples have, because there's certain fights you could only have with, with your spouse. If it's that type of emotional fight that it's almost what we'll call an emotional relationship, it might be, it might be, they might be projecting it or presenting it through anger, but you could tell it's an inappropriate couple relationship. Bezin should give the couple a very, very hard time until the couple realizes that Bezin's not looking at it like a fight between a Teve and a Nitzvah. Bezin's looking at it like some type of emotional relationship. But if it's a, a regular, real negotiation, time camp money, or I don't want to send here, or we have a house and a house, should we settle it? And it's a real fight that can't be settled. It needs a suck. I want to get remarried. I want to move. Then Bezant sits down and deals with it like a real case and checks what it says in Shulchan Aruch and tries to compare it to cases. And generally, the shita is that whatever's best for children overrides everything. That means the father could say his opinion of what's best. The mother says her opinion. Bezin doesn't share their opinion because Bezin just doesn't share a third opinion. Bezin takes both opinions and they check who's really focusing on the best for the child, what makes sense, who is calculated, and they try to implement that decision. So give me an example. I would say the most common Shiloh. The most common Shiloh is how does someone get better visitation when they're in a fight with their spouse? Husband to the wife and wife to the husband. I've seen equal amount of cases. Generally, this specific child that I'm going to deal with men struggle with, but somebody, his spouse is already remarried, and he needs better visitation. It's just not working out for him. And what could he do to get better visitation? It could be that he wants a Pesach, if he wants a Sukkot. How could he change the schedule? And I would say that's the most common style. The way it's dressed up very often is someone says, look, I want more Shabbosim, I want more weekdays, I, I, my son's bar mitzvah is coming up, I want to learn with him, I want to be Mechanachim, I want to be able to, I want my spouse to have to pay now for my Ubers, it's getting difficult to travel, and I want to see them more a week, I want to start coming to me. And every single time, the way I think most Batidinim are Sheikh or such Shilas is they take into account, what, of course, what's best for child, and they also think practically, practically, what's going to work that's going to allow this couple to move on because I think move on is, is what the task of that Besant's is supposed to try to accomplish just to figure out how this couple who's stuck with an issue how they can move on and I would say most Shilas get settled that way because most Shilas don't have Mara McLeamus and Shulchan Aruch, especially the custody battles. They have a more blanket statement, whatever's best for the children. And Bezin just figure out whatever's best for the children. Now, Machlekes, I play this game, how do Bezin decide what's best for children? But there's no case if the mother lived in New Jersey and now she's moving to Australia, what should be done? There's no, there's no black and white cases. The focus is how, how do you make Shalom between the couple and get them to be able to communicate, to be able to take care of their children together? The most complicated child I got was fights about walking down the chuppah. And then I'm knowing like the three day age that the three day age says fight. That talk talk about the fight. The fight when uh when when the Hassan or Kalan needs to be walked down the chuppah with a couple with parents who who went through a divorce and uh, you know, it's a very complicated child because we don't really know the Makar of having people walk down the you know, the Gemara and Shulchanar bring down Makar is from other Mauritian, but we don't know what the real Makar is of a couple walking down and it doesn't seem from the place it's not supposed to be a couple that's divorced. But if one mother or father makes an issue and says, Look, I wanna walk down with my child and then and, and you know, I wanna I want I want my husband to walk down with me, I don't want to walk down alone, I want my ex husband to walk with me. So again, we focus like the three day says and how since there's no Makar, how to figure out how to do it the Shalom and how to negotiate with the couple until we can come to some type of agreement. So and what do you do? What have you done? So I've in, I've in the past, I was in Shabbat Kedushim when I had a, a Garsh and Grusha walk down together. I was criticized about it, and I told the other Abanan that that's how the Sudeish writes people should be knowing. You had the divorced 
parents walk the child down. I was in the Saudi tradition where the divorced parents walk the child down, yeah. I mean, an easier way would have done if the, if the women, the two mothers do the girl and the fathers do the boy, so it yeah. doesn't become an that issue, would have right? Been, that would have been the easiest, but here's the mo- and that's, what, that's what one spouse, and that's what one, one wanted, the father in the case wanted it like that. He didn't want to walk down with his ex, but, um, but uh, you know, they, she made a fuss, and it was a fuss that made sense, and we spoke it out, and we came to such an agreement. Give us another Shiloh you get. Another Shiloh post-divorce. The most complicated Shiloh that, I get, that, that is brought down in Shulchan Aruch post-divorce is a couple that, Niyachid, or a couple that ends up being together post-divorce. That's brought down in Shulchan Aruch, and uh, that, that, that's the most unpleasant Shiloh to deal with. Explain, walk, the, us the Shiloh, walk us through the Shiloh. The Shulchan Aruch discusses, based on the, Ram, based on the Gemara and the Rambam, that a couple post-divorce, if they would be Miyachid, and we would say, which means we're having a Havamino or even, or even a Maskana that they were together, then the Halacha is they need another get. Most probably, according to the Rambam, the get would, would be needed with the Rabbanan, but it could be the Raisa. They would need another get because the Rambam holds the Chazaka by somebody who was once your wife, that ain't Adam Asa Bilasa Bilaznos, the Goyim Adaitil Kedushin, that somebody's not with his spouse regularly, and therefore he had a mind for Kedushin. Different than the Goyim, that the Goyim say any Panoi Habalat Nuyah has such a status. The Rambam only holds it by the person who you were married to, and our Semech explains not because people don't want to do Averis. That's not the Ashkafa. The Ashkafa is that this is somebody who you one time were married to means you're always going to have feelings for that person. And therefore, the halach is that we say, and you need another get. And a lot of people don't know. So you have to be Masada and another get in such a case. But it also shows us the Ashkafa that post-divorce is not shot that you're just a regular single man and single lady. There's a certain type of omozika. There's a certain type of relationship automatically that they have even post-divorce. I mean, now, now being that people say pe- pe- people are divorced often for longer periods of time, and there's this child visitation. So, I mean, this must come up all the time, then. Yeah, this 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 comes up all the time. I mean, the so the so. so what do you do? Right? Do you are you do you write a lot of second gittin? No, I mean, like this, I I do I I have wrote I have written a lot of second second gittin. I do give a very 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 hard time. When I write the guest like that, it shouldn't. That this should never come to be a third time. Um, besides making jokes that I'm. What was the occasion? When was the occasion that you wrote a second get? Like, give us a story. I. It's usually the husband would. It's usually from the husband initiated. The husband would give me a call, and the husband would tell me that he ended up being miyachid with his wife, and he ended up being with his wife and uh, his ex-wife. I'm sorry, and he heard that there's such a halachi. He heard it from a friend. He heard it from a rav. He heard it during the Mishir, and he wants to know if it's true. And um, there are rabbanim who have a meaning of trying to be mekel, like like the halach of nitmesi when a lady says nitmesi that I was with another person that she's also her husband. There are halachas that you don't believe. So the halachas over here that are very similar that you're not nemon and you need. Adam and, 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 and Adam has to be kosher Adam. There are Rabbanim who are noig like that, but the Rabbanim who I got Shemesh from, they're very, they were very, very machmer like the Arsamech and others. And I, I tell the husband, look, I'm very sorry, you have to, I have to be Masada and other guests, but I give a very hard time when I'm being Masada that I'm not going to be Masada unless he could tell me how this is not going to happen again. Like almost a full guest. I mean, well, they put a camera in the house. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not just the yichud. It's not, it's, 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 it's that there's a certain relationship that it seems like the Rambam understood that a couple has that they're more courage to do, to do averis. The Rambam and the Yerushalmi, the Ragachava points this out. Even if it would be a kain, 
with his Grusa, they're not allowed to, they're not, they're not allowed to be too close together, even though there's a bigger Isser in Torah for them to be together. It doesn't make a difference because we're choishish, that they one time knew each other. The Lashon of the Ramam is their Makkah They know each other's, you know, expressions and body expressions, and it's more easy when they're lonely to come to Navera. I don't disagree. I'm just saying, but Yichud, if there was if there was a Shimer or if there was a if there was a third person there, it would help, right? So a camera would act as a third person. Let's say, let's say, let's say I agree, which I don't know if I do, but let's say I agree here with the, because of Liba Gaspa, But here we're talking about even even if there's a camera here when the husband is moida that they were together, they need another. He needs another get. He was moida. But he's he's together with an aide in the room. The camera is the aide. It's, it's it's having a third person. No, 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 no. I know. I'm not. I'm not talking. They were together just biyichud. They were together with biyon. We're saying. Oh, 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 I understand. I understand. No, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Give us one last child, Rabavi. I would say another another very interesting Shiloh that comes up very very often post to get, especially lately, it's becoming more and more. I don't exactly know why. Is if people get divorced. Um, let's say they get divorced faster than they wanted to, and they still have a lot of unsettled issues or issues come up. People right away call, and instead of dealing with the issue, they try to see if they could possibly get and say, hey, the get that I gave wasn't kosher because I only gave it with, you know, preconditions that things are going to work out well, etc. And I want to know, I want you to call the other spouse up, and I want you to say, and I've had it also with a few times less, but I had a few times that, that ladies called me up, and they also said, you know, Though I only accept the get that he's going to do A, B, and C, or based on A, B, and C, it's not doing it. I want you to call the other person up and say the get that was given, the get that was received is not good, and I because of these issues. And that's a real, real complicated. Give us an example. Or give us an example. The classic example I would say is that post-divorce, there's always issues between spouses, especially spouses that I would say got divorced a little bit too early. And usually one spouse tries to test the other spouse. I'll just give uh, an easy example. They get divorced and the wife is, is lonely and she's upset and she's sad and she also is questioning who's wrong in this divorce, which is a question a lot of people deal after because if they were wrong, then they're going to have a hard time getting remarried. And if their spouse was wrong, they're going to have an easier time getting remarried. So what they do is they'll generally do something to hurt the spouse, something small, hold back the visitation on an important day or just make something difficult and they'll watch their spouse's reaction. If if their spouse blows up, so then they have you know they have tools. They could say, "Huh, look, you know this is this is how you act. You, you go crazy." And if their spouse basically acts like a mensch, then then usually usually not always they calm down and they realize, you know what, there's no point of acting vindictive. Very often, men who are on the other side of that, when they get that vindictive action, then she filed something in court inappropriately, or she didn't answer, and she missed a very important visitation, or she didn't give the passport some time to get renewed, and you can't go to Eretz Yisrael. But something that's really bothers somebody generally people are coached instead of dealing with the issue like I mentioned realizing the other person did this out of terrible pain and even though it's not right there's a smart way to deal with it some would call up a Rav or a Bezin and say hey I need you to draft up a letter that the get's not good that I gave and that's going to cause the other person to what we say in Yiddish to Steltsu that's, that's, that's a very un, unpleasant shadow to deal with that sometimes you have to deal with and doesn't sometimes too often. What is a bezner and say, I, 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 I did it, it wasn't the condition in which I wanted to get. I mean, isn't it Dvarim Shabalev? I mean, how do you, it's, it's Eng Ludav Asaif. Yeah, it is Eng Ludav Asaif, but there are place schemes, there's a true of Merbitha Gokhanan, there are place schemes that say that certain things you do have to take in consideration. Certain vindictive behavior that the husband could have never dreamed would have happened, and almost the dash of Kol Adam, nobody would have dreamt such a thing would happen. He gives the get and she files a false report, and it's really 
really, really false, and she doesn't have an excuse to do it, then a husband could say, look, I didn't give the get to Alan Sachidas, and nobody would have given but the you w- trust me. You, wanted, you would have preferred to stay married to this person, now knowing how terrible they are? So that's, that's, that's how a lot of places can go also. A lot of places can go that mahalach and try to convince the husband and say, look, that doesn't mean you had a harakta on the get. That means you really, really, really wanted to give the get and you even wanted to give, it, give the get faster because, of course, you don't want to use the get just to control. And we have to be madrachim and teach you how but to you're saying, it with your ex. But by, by, but doing, by, by doing that, they, could they actually create a situation where the other person can't remarry? So, yeah, first of all, yes, I believe so. They definitely could create a situation, both halachically and practically. First of all, practically, when anybody's ma'ar on a get, they create a situation that people are going to be nervous to date that girl. And it's a terrible thing. I've asked many rabbanim, sometimes people, certain, sometimes certain batidinim that are not considered trustworthy batidinim, they're just ma'ar on getting. They write, that gets puzzle. Sometimes it happens. It happens sometimes too often. And other batidinim are like, let me ignore myself. That Bezin's crazy. I could ignore it. He's crazy. Nobody's going to respect that type of bittle get. And what ends up happening is that the public, who doesn't know Bezin politics, doesn't know what's a normal Bezin and what's not a normal Bezin, they get scared and practically nobody will date this girl. I know many, 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 many ladies who've got Gittin that Rabbanim were Ma'aran, and people, even though other Rabbanim told them that it's Kashan and don't worry, people wouldn't date them. And halachically, of course, halachically, it could have done this. Why would a Rav be Ma'ar? Isn't that a terrible thing to do? It's a terrible thing, in my opinion. I think it's a really wrong thing, but if you look at the Paiskim starting from after the war in the 1950s, really, you have from Menashe Klein and many, many other Paiskim for Bavad Yosef that really emphasize that if there's a real place for error, if it's a real thing, if really the get was done Shalai and it was a really, really bad get, then Rabbanim has to be ma'ar on it. The question is what's considered a bad get, and that's very subjective. So, so in the cases that you say you've seen error, what, what was the very bad get that it was? The errors generally were either when a judge would throw somebody into jail before he had a psak of a chiv or chiv kiyagat. Well, that's a real problem when you have the tajibats, the famous tajibats. What else? Give me another one. Or if people would threaten. Threaten or manipulate. What does that mean, threaten or manipulate? So threaten, threaten is if somebody, if somebody before a husband has a psak chiv or a chiv, before they went to Besan properly, and somebody would call up the husband and would say, I'm warning you, if you give a get, if you don't give a get, I'm going to make your life miserable. And it's in a way that the husband actually accepts the threat. He's nervous about it. And he doesn't have a psak on him of what he's supposed to be doing, right? And no one, no one asking that this is the way you should be dealing with this husband. Then, and he, the husband gives a get because he's scared. He's scared for his life. Or he's manipulated. He's promised certain things. You give a get, life's going to be good. You give a get, you know, all the harassment's going to stop. And it doesn't. These are real, 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 real shyless. If the husband went through Bezdin and Bezdin and this is what you're supposed to be doing, and it's They're not all shallow. Shallow sukfi, you're saying. It was all shallow sukfi. Shallow sukfi, all yeah. basically, yeah. and 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 muta, and and tricked and tricked, and when someone tricks somebody, but um, those are shallows that come up tricked. after getting tricked. Is tricked is much broader than kfi, because every oh, I, I was, I'm going to be a good divorcee, I'm, I'm so then already anything could be tricked at that point, right? Yes, that's why tricked is a very complicated child that the police can deal with on how to be monitored, because you're right, every person could say I was tricked. And, and is there any particular bezdin or Diane who gives these tricked errors on Gittin? What do you mean? When he sees, what, is there a Bezna? Is there a Bezna? You say, oh my goodness, they're, they're famous that they come out with error on Gittin. Yeah, there are many. I'm not, I, I don't know if I should mention, but there are many, there are many Batidinim that, that, that's it they do. Their whole Parnassi comes from just being Ma'ar. Are you serious? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, because they learn, look, you learn Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch is a tool to tell you how to act. And I mean that, and the Parnassi parna- parna- is about creating the Rurim on Gittin? I think so because they haven't, you, they haven't produced. Can them. you t- give us the name of these? But they did. 
Oh, that's 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 a so question. So that cloud you saw when they say la malshini malti six level, halarisha karega taivide, they would have kavana for. I think I think I think to say it better is that those bati dinim that I would say they almost have a Catholic Christian understanding of divorce, right? Because by us, divorce is a gemara, it's a mesechta that tells us how to do it. And in the Catholic Church, one of the first things, believe it or not, that they did was abolish divorce. One of the first things the Catholic Church did was said you cannot get divorced, no matter what, no matter how painful it is. There's one dearth in the New Testament that's Paschans like Beishamai that's you know, Ellen King Nimsa by Evers Dover, then you're allowed to get divorced. That's, why, that's, they have a, that's why they have they have annulments in the Catholic Church. Uh, that's, that's, what, that's why they ran they ran that they needed to find Epicahetta when they became more modern. But this has been written about throughout history how it's slowly modernized in the Catholic Church. But they have a very warped understanding about divorce. They have a warped understanding of, about marriage in general, the Catholic Church. That Barbanel discusses this. That Barbanel says that he spoke to the Chachmi Hanoitzrim in Pashis Kisetse, and they said a divorce is Kneged Hateva, it's against what Hashem wants, because Hashem put the couple together. How could you separate? It. And the Bob Nelson is a very interesting parrot. He says, divorce makes you understand what your marriage is about. Because if you don't know how to break your marriage, or you don't know what the breaking point of your marriage is, then how do you know if you ever have a successful marriage? So he says, the destruction of the marriage gives the keem of the marriage, and therefore Kedushin is learned from Gittin, and Ksub is learned from Gittin. And Gittin, if anything, is a higher relationship to your Zivig than Kedushin, because Kedushin, you're staying in the same house. Gittin is, you have to have a relationship and an appropriate relationship with your, with your ex. And he, he, he disagrees with the Catholic Church, but I think there are certain Batidinim, and everyone knows who they are, and those Batidinim, that they have a very strong understanding that Gittin is 100% usher. And you should never, ever get divorced. And when they see a divorce, they look at it that the person is doing one of the biggest averis. And if you would see someone doing a big averis, you would write a letter and you would say, stop. So I think that's what they're doing. Unbelievable. Bobby, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Joining us from Muncie, New York, is Yitzhak Grunenbaum. He runs Concord Mediation, which mediates between parties who are trying to have a quote-unquote peaceful divorce. He's an expert in divorce. Welcome, Rabbi Yitzhak. Thank you for having me. So, Rabbi Yitzhak, you're a Ben Taira. I know your family well. You come from a very esteemed Talmud Yitzhakamim. Tell us, what are some of the halachic shilas for couples who are either going through or are divorced? One of the most striking halakhas to me, um, and I think this is, we, we all grow up on, on the concept of speaking Lashon Hara as, as being a very bad thing. And the examples sometimes seem far-fetched to us. Um, I think that divorce is the manifestation of everything about Shemir Lashon, that people don't realize a little thing that you could say could end up ruining a family forever and ever and ever and the amount that it's going to take to get back from that little word that you said or the, the, the way you validated someone in, and, and it took a different meaning. Or Give us an it, example. Just, Give us an example that you experienced. An example would be um, someone would say, uh, my husband came late to pick up, and, and the person would say, you know what you have to do? You have to enforce the agreement, and you have to, without asking any questions, and it's going to turn into, I've seen... Um, this is back in the days when I worked for the best and I've seen people have been terrible. Literally, I kid you not, over 50 cents. Because someone told them, you have to enforce it now. And if you're not going to enforce it now, you don't know where it's going to go. It's, maybe that is the case. Maybe that is the right answer. But it's not something that you just blurt out. It's not something that... Uh, divorces are could go either way without even 
you know, with a little twist of your nose. You know, all that that we heard about smear and you, 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 you turn your nose one way, you make one word one way, you say that, oh, wow, that's terrible. He's such a bad father. He's, she's such a bad mother. You, it, it, it could just destroy a family forever. And we really have to be careful because we forget sometimes that the other person is also from cholesterol. You know, and, and that there are two people over here that are struggling to get through a difficult life situation. And it, there's no, it, it's not science. It's we need to get through this together and we need to do what's best for both of us, which is that the children should have a way to continue their life. Um, that, I would say, is like something that, that people don't even think about. They think, I'm going to help this person, I'm going to fundraise. I, I don't need to tell you. I'm sure recognize, that you know. Let me like, say, you say recognize that when you're speaking to a divorced person about their ex, or the wrong, you're speaking to somebody who's very vulnerable, right, and in a very you know, uncertain situation, and anything you say can be taken so out of context or so exaggerated and really impact the, both spouses as well as the children. So be, count your words before you speak. Is that basically what you said? Yeah, and I would say that would, that would be... The number one thing that, that you know, if, if you only have to take away one thing, it would be that. Like, really, okay. <laughs> try yeah. to run away from a chikis, but try to, obviously, you have to help people and you have to be there for people, but be very careful because see the full picture, see what's really going on. And sometimes yeah. it's uncomfortable because there's a person that's complaining in front of you and it's very, very uncomfortable. And, and sometimes you run away from that being uncomfortable and we just say something. I'll share with you an experience that happened with me. Um, there's this divorced person who died in our show, and one of the parties made a kiddish, and both families came, you know, and they were dancing, and I asked one of the uncles, like, no, come dance, and he looked at me, and he waved his finger back and forth, like, no, 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 I can't, and I thought to myself, like, what a, what a jerk, like, you know, I noticed a divorce, and, and the entire night I was, like, looking at this person, and then after the, the simcha, the guy came out, after the kiddush, the guy came out to me, and he said he apologized. He said, he, you know, he hurt his legs a number of years ago, and the doctors simply do not allow him to move. And I was about to, like, pile on to the family how they weren't respectful, how, and how in, in a vulnerable situation, how a misunderstanding like that could be. I didn't say anything, but I was just thinking, imagine if I had said something, you know? Give us rule number two. That's number one. Halacha number two. Number, t- number two would be whenever you could work together. If, if, if you don't speak to each other, there's no way you're going to work things out. Um, so as much as possible, try to, try to encourage a conversation. Obviously, it has to be, you know, I'm not talking about where there's a safety issue. I'm talking about beyond that, as much as you could have a conversation. And I, I want to just, just put it in perspective. Um, and a preference is by saying that th- there's a number of therapists that tell me, like, well, when you're going through a divorce, you, you regress into a time when you're a child. And I want to take it there. What do we do with our children when our children get into a fight? What do we do? We, we tell them, okay, you know, you, you sit down in your bed or sit down, in, uh, you know, sit down on the couch and let's, let's figure this out. Let's talk this out. Let's figure out what happened. And a few minutes later, they're out playing together. Um, what happens by divorce? why don't you speak to your lawyer and why don't you go speak to your client and speak to your relative and speak to this one and that one when it's the issue that we have to work together. And I want to take it another step further is that what we have to remember is that divorce is 
is a fight that has nothing to do with their marriage. And it's not even a fight. It's something that they never even discussed throughout their marriage. You never discuss in a marriage about child support. You never discuss about division of assets. You never discuss about who's taking what or what, who's spending, how you're going to divide up custody of your children. So where did it turn into that the second someone's going for a divorce, we're preparing for war? You never even discuss the vision of assets. You never discuss how you're going to, uh, who's having custody when, but right away where everybody's gearing up for a huge fight for, for World War III when nothing even happened. We don't, and so I, I think that, the rule number, don't expect that, there, that anything happened. <laughs> Nothing happened yet. Try to work it out. Try to figure it out. Um, and there's, whatever happened in the past have, has nothing to do with what we have to figure out in the future. You know, sometimes you have things that have to do with the person that you have to figure out. But in general, assume that you could work it out, not that you can't work it out. Okay, can the mother have custody of the boys when the father has the mitzvah of the limadat amayisim So this is a question that they ask, and they, they, they talk about it, about how could it be, you know, if you go, what we know from halacha is that pachas mishesh, you know, that by the mother, that, um, you know, obviously before, you know, tevis but the, the simple, what it says right in the beginning is that pachas mishesh is by the mother, and they ask that how could you be pachas mishesh by the mother, when a father has a chiyah by five to teach him ready Torah, and that's where they bring in the concept of, of visitation. And where even if it says that it's going to be by someone, doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to be able to visit the other, the other spouse and you'll have time to, um, to, to learn with them. And what, what I've seen, a lot of times fathers ask for, um, the, to have the starim of Pesach. And, some mothers are fine with that. Some are not, you know, because they want the they want the mitzvah, uh, you know, of of sefiritius mitzrayim. Uh, we got it a little bit of the emahu. Yeah. <laughs> so that so some fathers but got, want. He got it a little one day a year. Shinanta b'ayisim levanecha is three hundred and sixty-five days a year. Right, and and we could all take mothers to try to do a three hundred sixty-five days to our children, um, but. What 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 what's brought down is that you should try to um, you know is that even under six there should be frequent visitation and that would be able to uh, make that the father is able to learn with his children. Um, so it, what we have nowadays where it's generally not that after six it goes right away to the father. That's generally not how it's done. Um, it's either some sort of shared custody throughout, or it wouldn't have to do with. The age of six necessarily. Um, so I would say that's probably, um, you know, one way to think about it is having time where you can learn um, the same way as under six. And the other thing is that, you know, when it does say Taiwan I think that there's a lot that goes into what's best for a child, and we should always think about it in the very um, broad way of, you know, making sure that the child's healthy, making sure that we're showing a good example, and that, that, that's in every aspect, you know, how we act in front of our children. Um, I've, I've unfortunately heard a lot of children, I don't normally, when I mediate, the children are not involved, but we're doing this series uh, where we're actually speaking to children to try to learn more about, um, about the divorce process and how it affects, and a lot of children have told me where they, you know, what, what they've seen, how their parents interact with each other, and what an impression it left on them. I can't tell you how many children just bursted out crying, like, from that experience of seeing parents asking to each other in 
in a way that's less than ideal. Um, and I think that's something where, you know, when we talk about learning, it, it's, it's, there's a lot, lot of steps before learning which you could actually teach to your children. And, and divorce is for sure one of those times where you're really showing your ch- child how you live and how you live in difficult situations. And these children remember it. They, they don't forget. And, you know, these lessons, some people have wonderful, wonderful memories from, you know, different stuff that their parents did, whether it was, you know, when they went out to eat and they packed up the food to send home in a nice way or whether it was, unfortunately, the other way, you know, where they, they've they heard stuff where, unfortunately, there's physical as well that children a lot of times see and that's... It, it. If a spouse is violating a divorce agreement and the Besden can enforce it, is the other one allowed to go to secular court? They're going to have to ask the rev, but there's not going to be any other way to enforce it. And they shouldn't, they shouldn't make the mistake to think that if they can enforce it, that they're going to call up people that are going to be able to enforce it because it's just not going to work. People are going to end up in, in trouble from doing that. What do you deal with um, when Dina de Malchusa bumps up against Tyra as far as, let's say, division of assets? Like, you know, alimony, division of assets, American law is much more even-handed, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's much more pro the, uh, the woman than, than halacha would be. Well, what do you do? Somebody's in Bezden and they say, listen, you know, I want alimony. And the husband says, oh, halacha, I don't really have to give you much. I want division of assets. I don't want to give you much. What do you do when that happens? I ask them, uh, I, I would back it up a job. I would ask them, what do you... Um, what do you feel in this situation? How how do, how do you want to go about it? And a lot of times, the pulling the halacha or the legal side to their favor is not really what they think is fair or what they feel that they should do. Um, and generally, that's where it ends up. Um, I'll give you an example: is ksuba. You know, does is ksuba and what amount is ksuba? Some people believe that you know the full ksuba would be fifty thousand, and if you have a young couple, their division of that is not fifty thousand. So uh, I, I don't believe it's true, that. True, but 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 fifty thousand in the United States today is not a lot of money. I mean, when when your average house couple. when you're an average house in Flatbush is two million dollars, and they own a house, or your average house in Lakewood is close to a million dollars. What is a fifty thousand? dollars by the girl. Okay, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you the, the, the example that you probably want, is that if a couple comes in and they have $50,000 to their name, what what should happen? And very often people are going to say just split it. That's very often what people would say. Now what happens if they come in and they have $50,000 of debt in their name? What, what should happen then? Both cases, husband working, wife not working, or, you know, flip it around whichever way you want. A lot of times we just feel different about it based on the circumstance, and that's where, you know, a lot of times whether the halacha is going to end up either way is is really not necessarily what the people actually believe that they should do, and um, or or the legal end up either way is not what they really feel in their heart of hearts, and in mediation, Let's say it's they a million to dollars. what they want to do. Let's say it's a million dollars, and the husband says, alimony la halacha, have to give you enough to support the kids till they're six, maybe past that. I'm not up to current what the modern price can say. And um, so give me the 950, I give you 50, let's have a good day. That's certainly not how American courts would see it. What do you do when you have that conflict between halacha and the secular system? Or $2 million or $3 million? Right. So uh, can I comment first on just the child support? Nowadays, a lot of people go go pretty much, you know, till, I would say till they get married, but almost till they get married. That's just what most husbands do nowadays. The reason for we could get into, but that's 
you know, I'll go back to the question is that what do you do when, when, when they get, when there is a conflict between the halakha and, and what one of them want? At the end of the day, I'm a mediator. So if they're going to want to actually do halakha and not mediation and base it based on halakha rather than their needs and interests, then we'll just say, you know, maybe, maybe you want to take this to a bedroom where they'll be able to determine the correct halakha because there is a lot of ambiguity within the halakha in all these topics. You know, what, how far up you have to pay for children, whether you have to give alimony, whether you don't, but all these things, there's a lot of ambiguity, and especially if the wife contributed toward um, the money that they, that they have, whether that's more than what she has to work and that would give her a right. So there's so much, and I can't cover that in a mediation session because I don't even have the authority to determine that. What do you do when one of the spouses changes their religious observance? One party becomes, let's say, much less religious, and you know they're not mocked so much on what they eat. They'll, they'll eat milchiks in a in a non-kosher restaurant. They'll say so, or they could even eat treif. W- what do you do? And now it's the other spouse is at home, and the kid comes in, and he's carrying something that that person would never eat. How do you, how logically, if you make a fuss about it, you could start a war? Um, do you do you have the right to look away? Do you not have the right to look away? How do you deal with these very complex situations? It's it's very complex. When they come to me, what they're coming to do is they want to work it out and they want to figure out a way that it can work. And and so I'm going to focus it from that angle. Of how can we make it work when there are different beliefs and different, um, you know, different religious standards? So the first thing that we want to create is that there's everybody understands that you're the king of your caste. So when you when they're by you, you have to have some sort of authority and be in charge in some way. And you can limit that to what whether this cost stand is whether you're gonna let the child bring in a phone or not. That is number one what we have to be acceptance of to make it work because nobody's gonna be able to control what's in the other person's house. Um, and number two, what we want to do is we want to create an atmosphere of respect for each other. And instead of, you know, it's going to be harder to do just lesson, you know, doing a chinuch based on the starter. It's going to have to really be showing um, the beauty of Yiddishkeit or whatever it is that they're trying to impress the child with. They're going to have to really be able to portray that where the child can see that and the child's going to be a little more open and be making their decisions. So we're not going to be able to have a very sheltered environment for such a child. Um, that's how you could actually make um, such a, such, you know, parenting with two different ideas. That's how you could make it work. Um, I haven't seen, you know, people have come to me after they've tried the other way and, you know, it could be someone coming from a Hasidic background and the other person is not Hasidic anymore and the child ended up bald because got a triple zero and the other parents cut off the payas or the other way around, you know, and, and that's not going to work. So you have to be understanding and you have to be working together and hopefully the child would be able to grow up healthy and find their own way that they feel comfortable with. Rabbi Yitzchak, thank you very much. If somebody wants to reach you, they should Google Concord Mediation. Mediation. Thank you very much for your time. Thank oh, you. No. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank Hi. I want to ask the riddles of the week. So, the first riddle about the Zoya that says that the uh, Luban, that the Rocha was named because she broke, Told the person that was the of Father Lovan, the Shankin Arun was named when he broke the Abadizudas of his father Taylor. So the 
which the answer is probably because uh, according to the Medrash, there had a store that he sold of the Zudas, so he was machshul. Other people and was so so Avram wasn't wants saved him from being Messiah the So that's why he did a mitzvah when breaking it because he didn't want to be a Messiah the just broke just uh, told the person what the Zuda of Lubon, so he wasn't allowed. And the second riddle about the Ramban that says that the meat behind it permitted to eat only after the mambo because the Bahamut will only save the Schitz Noyach. So the question is why why fish have no term or fish with what were in part of the Mabu they were not they were in part of the Mabu not because of the Schitz Noyach, not just because they didn't do any Tiavas. So first of all the Khaskini and the Ram and actually the Khosar also say the same thing as the Rambam that uh, that's why the Bahamut were much to eat after the Mabu. About the question was actually posed already by the Sansofer, and the Mishkachmer answered one answer, when he pushed the answer that it was just that the, the, the animals shouldn't be jealous when they see that, that they're killing them, that the people should be able to eat them, but not the fish. But I, I saw a better answer from Stephen Magadur of Bianco that he writes that Anachanami, the fish, were not permitted to eat after the Mabu because the, they weren't saved uh, so there wasn't any reason to be mad them after the Mabu but he said that that the it only, it only got permitted to, to eat the fish were only permitted to eat only after Matan Toida that because the whole world was only made because of the Shulatoida Shnikidaishis so if the Jews weren't the Kabbalah of the Toida, uh, Hashem said that he was able to turn the world to before creation. So can tell that at, that because of the Eden, fish were still alive, so it was the same thing as Moyach with the Bahamut after the Mambo. And actually he asked a pretty interesting question. It, it, it's not actually not, not he, but his, uh, his grandson, Nachem Mendel and Allah writes in the side of Hashem Shemogain that it's, a, it's often a pussy that was meant to eat before Matan Toida that, that the Eden ate fish in the time the pussy says in, in Bamidbar eat all of high that the Khan needs to do a snorkel of the time Chinom the Eden are complaining that they, eat, they ate fish after the Mabu before Matan Toida in the time so he said that uh, Rashi answers the question when he says that the Khan needs to do a snorkel of the time Chinom that Rashi chinam min mitzvah, and the Eid is free from the mitzvah. So why does Rashi have to say it? Instead, according to his uh, grandfather, it's beautiful because in the time they ate they ate the fish chinam mitzvah because it wasn't allowed yet to eat fish because it wasn't saved with chesnoyach. That's why they said it. They said chinam mitzvah. But after matzah it got mitzvah because because the Eid were makabel and only because of that the world had had a kiyum. Thank you and have a nice day. Hi, I'm calling from Eric Israel. I just wanted to answer the riddle of the week. Um, this is probably the first riddle. Who said Avram wasn't uh, Na'anash? You know, he was, after all, thrown the Kibbutz Na'ish. Maybe that was, um, you know, sort of an Onish. And then when he was in Karashim Shemayim, from the Shustet, he was saved. Um, and then next happened to him. So, got the second riddle of why Noah was allowed to eat fish. So, um, 
Before they 